Uh, today is exciting because we are launching a brand new series. And, uh, and one person's excited. That's my wife. <laughs> She's excited. And, uh, and we're, we're pumped about it. Uh, and, and if you're new with us, the series is just a collection of talks uh, that we spread out over several weeks. And we focus on a theme, a topic, or a book of the Bible. And, uh, and then we do the hard work of trying to apply the principles to our everyday lives because what we have learned along the way is that there's different levels of learning. And uh, there's an intellectual level, which is important and significant, but there's also the experiential level. And that only happens when we begin to apply God's principles to our everyday lives. And so we're going to talk about that. And what we have found is that when we do that, when we actually put into practice the things that we're learning, is, uh, that's when we experience the greatest level of life transformation. And, uh, and so we'll make sure to talk about that. Uh, but today we're talking, uh, we're starting a brand new series called Battles and Blessings. Battles and blessings. I heard someone say a long time ago that they said every person that you meet is fighting a battle somewhere in their life. Uh, pastor Rick Warren, who was the pastor of Saddleback Church, he said, I used to think that the Christian life was a, success, was a succession of battles and blessings. And what he meant is like you go through one and then the other. But then he said, as I've gotten older, I realized that it's like two tracks running right alongside each other. That you live in the tension of a battle and a blessing at any given moment in your life. And this is where, in my own personal experience, where I have seen the real discouragement set in in certain seasons of my life. It is when I have become convinced that my life should only consist of one or the other. If I'm in a season of life where I think maybe God has, has shown up in unique ways and I'm thinking that, that my life should only consist of blessings, then it's easy for me to misinterpret the battles that are sure to come. But on the other side of that, if I'm in a season where everything seems like it is a battle and I'm in survival mode, and I've also realized that I have missed out on opportunities to receive God's blessing. And so what we're going to do uh, over the next few weeks is we're going to look at the life of a guy named Joshua, and we're going to see how he learned to thrive in both the battles and the blessings. Sound good? Okay. All right. I think we're ready. Uh, but before we can talk about Joshua, it is important for us to know a little bit about uh, where he came from. So Joshua was an Israelite. And we know, maybe we know this, uh, you may recognize the name Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Hebrews who eventually became known as the Israelites. He had several sons. Uh, they moved to a, a region called Canaan. And this was known also as the Promised Land. And they thrived in this land for many years. In many generations until there was a season of famine in the land. And when that happened, the people of Israel migrated from Canaan to Egypt. And it was a wonderful existence for a season of time because they actually had uh, Joseph who was uh, part of the leadership of the Egyptian government. And so he made provisions for a bunch of the Israelites and the Jewish people that moved into the land. But what happened is that over time, leadership changed and they realized that the Jewish people were growing so fast that they became threatened by the population, and so they decided to enslave the Jews. They enslaved the Israelites. And uh, at the tail end of this experience, God raised up a leader by the name of Moses. Some of you may be familiar with that name, and Moses had a vision. And his vision is that someday the people of Israel would no longer live under the bondage of the Egyptian government. And the vision for, for Moses was always to leave Egypt and to enter into the promised land. And so uh, if you're familiar with some of that story, you know that at least part of that took place. Moses led a movement where about a million uh, Israelites 
uh, departed from Egypt, and they begin to make their way to Canaan. And when they arrived in uh, what they call the wilderness of Paran, it was a region just outside of Canaan, they set up camp, and Moses decides as a tactical decision to uh, begin to prepare for entering into the promised land. He gets uh, the top 12 leaders from every, uh, every tribe, each one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so he had 12 leaders, and he sets them on sort of a, a re- reconnaissance mission, in a sense. They're going out into this land that they've never been, for, been there before, and the hope is that they would gain some information, some intel, and bring back a report as they prepare to go to battle. And so this was the report we're, we pick up today in Numbers chapter thir- 13, verse 25, of the first set of spies. It says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. And they reported to the whole community what they'd seen and shown them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Skip to verse 31. They say, but we cannot go against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. And all the people that we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshopper, and that's what they thought too. So the spies enter into the land of Canaan, and they come back and they begin to report to all the people that were waiting for the last 40 days to hear what their experience was like. And they said, it is exactly like our ancestors told us it was. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was prosperous. It is beautiful. But the only problem is, is that we cannot enter the land. The people there are like giants and we are like grasshoppers. It would be an impossible task. And it would probably be hard for us to imagine the level of discouragement that the people who were receiving this report would have felt because uh, they had taken a journey from Egypt all the way to Canaan, should have taken two to three weeks. It ended up taking 12 months. And you can imagine uh, if you've ever traveled somewhere and you you know how long it's supposed to take, and then when it takes two or three times that long, it becomes really discouraging and frustrating. And that was a little bit of the sentiment of the people of Israel. They were complaining, they were upset, they were frustrated because it had taken them 12 months to get to a place that should have taken only two weeks. But they were starting to feel some level of hope that the journey was coming to an end. I wonder if any of you remember maybe the last time you moved, that feeling of being unsettled. Like you have all your systems in place in one location, and then you pack everything into a box, and then you get to your new location, but, but it doesn't work that way, right? Where right away you unpack everything and you put it where it belongs. There's still this feeling of, uh, of being unsettled. And, and essentially the children of Israel felt that for 12 months. And they thought that they were coming to the end of that journey. And, and they were discouraged when they heard this report. And it's really interesting about how, when we think about how the passage describes the behavior of the ten spies, it says that they spread a bad report. And it's as if they were trying to create fear among the people, where they went from one tribe to the next tribe, trying to persuade everyone that it would be an impossible task for them to go against these giants. And this is what we eventually learn, is that it's these same ten people that began a movement to convince people to go back to Egypt. They were ready to give up at the first sight 
of a war. They were ready to give up at the first battle. And so what that tells us is that there was a whole group of people that would rather live in the familiarity of slavery than to fight for their freedom. And I think that sometimes this is a picture of us, that the cost of change is sometimes outweighed by the desire to remain comfortable. There are so many implications to the decisions that these guys were ready to make. They were willing to give up their freedom, but not just their freedom, but the freedom of their children and their grandchildren for generations to come because they were afraid. So that was the report of the first ten. They said, we'd rather go back to slavery. But then there were two other spies that had a dissenting opinion about what they saw. Numbers chapter 14, verse 6. It says, two of the men who explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land that we travel through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a land rich and flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. Joshua and Caleb saw the same thing that the other ten spies saw, and yet they jumped, they came to a different conclusion. They weren't afraid. And so we asked the question, why? What was the difference between Caleb and Joshua and the rest of the spies? Well, the passage tells us. It wasn't based on their capacity as leaders. It wasn't based on their wisdom or their experience. It wasn't based on their authority. It wasn't based on their popularity. It wasn't based on any level of influence that they had over the people of Israel. It was not based on any personal skill set that they had acquired over the course of their life. Their confidence came from God. Look what it says next. It says, they have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. In other words, they were saying, if God is for us, then who can be against us? My youth pastor had a real fun, awesome saying. He he used to say that God plus me equals the majority. And that was their mindset. That there was no problem too big for God to handle. I've mentioned, I've mentioned this before in the past, um, and this, this is a fading season of my life, but my children look up to me. And, uh, and I would even say they idolize me in a little bit, okay? And that's, and that's partly my fault, okay? I talk myself up to my kids about who I was in my former life. And, uh, and, and I shared a few months ago that my son, I had to break it to my son. He asked me, Dad, how old was I when I could first slam dunk? And, uh, and I saw the glimmer in his eyes fade as soon as I said, son, i got to tell you something. I've never been able to slam dunk. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm trying to be realistic about his view of me. But the other day we were watching a 49ers game. And uh, he said, dad, I know you're old, but I think that you would be great in the NFL. <laughs> and I said, oh, gosh, son, I love you so much. And that's a really kind thing for you to say. And, uh, and I just felt like I don't want him to be really let down in the future so I'm trying to ease him off how he thinks of me. And I said, I said son, uh, I, would, I would die if I was in the NFL. And he said, no, you wouldn't. And I said, son, I think this is the problem. I think when you look at these men on TV, they all look like they're the same size. But if, you, if I put pads on and a helmet on, I would be much smaller than them. And he didn't believe me. So I went and we looked up George Kittle. And I went and got a measuring tape. And I said, son, this is how tall George Kittle is. And this is how big he is. And if my body ever came into contact with his body, my body would be decimated. <laughs> and then I saw the, 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 the nuts turning in his mind, and he goes, oh, yeah, I get it. 
my dad is a lot smaller than the, the NFL players. And so I realized that context is helpful. You had one set of spies who enter into the land of Canaan, and they see these huge giants, and they said, those giants, compared to my capacity, uh, it is impossible. it's an impossible task for us to overcome. But then you have a second set of spies that entered into the land of Canaan, and they see these huge problems, but they don't compare their problems to their own capacity. They compare their problems to God's capacity, and they said, for God, this is a small issue. And that's how it all works. That's how all of faith works. From our vantage point, the problems are usually too big for us to handle. And the first ten set of spies, they actually came to the right conclusion that they did not have the capacity to overcome what was before them. But when we bring, bring God into the equation, the problems that seem too big for us are not too big for him. And some of you have been on that journey with us in this church. If you remember a few years ago, we did our first end-of-the-year impact initiative. And if you haven't been here for a while, we do this every year. But it started uh, this year, uh, several years ago. And, uh, and the vision really came at a point in the life of our church where we said, hey, you know, we're not, we had a bunch of churches supporting us for the first three years. And that support transitioned off and we became like this self-sustaining church. And we said, hey, guys, so many people sacrificed to help our vision get started. What if we became a church in the early ages of our church when we started helping other people? And so we set like a, a relatively, you know, challenging goal for our church. We were a small church. At the time, we said, what if we raised $100,000 at the end of this year? And we said $50,000 would go to support ministries outside the walls of this church, where we're going to be a, a big K, big C kind of church, where we're going to help other churches do their things. It's not just about what happens here. And so we said we're going to set $50,000. The other $50,000 is that we had a vision. We wanted this church to be here not just for a season of time, but for generations and generations. And we said, what if we just raise another $50,000 as a seed investment for what God may do through this community for generations to come? And everybody's like, yes, let's do it. And, and then we did the math. And if you know anything about Bay Area real estate, $50,000 can't buy you a shack out here. But we said it doesn't matter. We're going to do it anyways. And so at the end of the year... We cast vision. We said, hey, let's step into sacrifice. Let's believe God can do amazing, amazing things. And we raised $87,000, which was huge. It was amazing. <laughs> Didn't quite hit the goal, uh, but we raised eighty seven. But what we said on the front end is that we were going to give the first 50000 to ministries outside the walls. So that left us with $37,000 to buy a building in the Bay Area. It was impossible odds. But what was crazy is that less than 12 months after that moment, we started having a conversation with True Hope Community Church that was here before us, and we said, hey, we have such a similar vision. We have such sweet people. What would it look like if two churches came together and we, and, and we tackled our city uh, in the name of Jesus together? And over the last few years, that has been the process. But what we, we saw $37,000 as a tiny little seed investment, and we saw God do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. But that's how it works in God's economy. Big problems to us are small problems to God. But look at the response of the people to Caleb and Joshua's assessment. Numbers chapter 14, verse 10 and 11. It said, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all of the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? 
even after all of the miraculous signs that I've done among them. The people were so enraged at Joshua and Caleb that God had to intervene in their situation. And this was the question that God asked Moses. Will these people never believe me? After all the things that I have done on their behalf, do they still not believe that I am capable of doing it again? Remember, it was less than a year after God had rescued a million people from the most powerful military in the world at the time. They had no weapons. They had no organization. They did not have an army, and yet they were freed. It had been fewer than 12 months since God had miraculously parted the Red Sea. Over the last 12 months, God had gone before these people all throughout the wilderness, in the morning, in at night, providing a way for them. In the last 12 months, they saw God provide for their physical needs every single day. And now they see some giants in a land that God told them to go into, and they think God isn't going to show up now. C.S. Lewis uh, was the author of the Narnia series. He was also a professor at Cambridge and, and Oxford for many years. Once he said a really powerful statement. He said, do not question in the dark what God has made clear in the light. Do not question in the dark what God has made clear in the light. The problem with every battle that we will ever, ever face in every season of life is that it can make you question the path that you're on even if it is the one that God has asked you to be put on. And we see that God realizes this because in Exodus chapter 13, as the children of Israel had just gotten out of Egypt, God allowed for them to take the long way home because he didn't want them to go through enemy territories because he knew that if they entered into a war at that moment, they would have wanted to go back to Egypt. And sometimes that's ha that happens with us. We can misinterpret a battle as a sign that we are doing something wrong. My mom doesn't like to fly. And she's only been on two round-trip flights her entire life. She hates flying. It uh, just causes a lot of fear and anxiety for her. Some of you uh, may know that feeling. Uh, but on her first flight, she flew to Georgia from uh, San Francisco to visit a family. And the flight there was amazing. No problems. Everything was smooth. It was wonderful. But the flight back home, there was a storm blowing through. And, uh, and so it was a little crazy. At some point on the flight, there became like this extreme turbulence in the air. And my mom started crying on the plane. And she started raising her voice, saying things that you don't say on a plane that she didn't know. But the words, we are going to die, the plane is going to crash, came out of her mouth. And my brother said, you need to be quiet. All right, you're going to get us thrown out of this plane. Nobody else seemed to be panicking the way that she was. But it's because she didn't know that that plane was built for turbulence. Just because you're going through some turbulence doesn't mean that the plane is going to crash or that you are going to die. And just because you are going through a battle in your life does not mean that you are on the wrong path forward. Jay, Joshua and Caleb were willing to follow God wherever he said to go. They followed God into the blessings, but they also followed him into the battles. And can we all have an honest moment in church sometimes? Right? Now maybe? Right? 
can we all admit that for most of us, the, issues, the issue ain't the blessings. It's easy for us to live in God's goodness and his blessing. The issues that most of us face have to do with the battles and the struggles and believing that God is going to continue to show up in your life doing the hard times. That's where we struggle. And you know, it's so interesting how people respond. Do you know how many people have bailed on their relationship with God when they're going through a hard time in life? And they say, why God? Why would you allow for this to happen to me? Why would you allow for me to go through a season of struggle like this? So many people, their story is they have bailed on their religion when things in life have been painful and have been a struggle. And I'm not saying that those questions, why God, are wrong. In fact, they're appropriate. In fact, it shows that you actually believe and care what God has to say or think about your situation when you come to him with those questions. But the Bible tells us that it was never meant to be easy. In fact, God says that when you follow me, there will be trials. If the world did not want me, how can you expect to follow me and believe that they will accept you? There will be trials. But the interesting thing is that trials and battles and struggles do not have to dissuade your faith. They can actually deepen your faith. Because you will also notice that a lot of people here today are in this room because they found God at the lowest point in their life. They found God when they hit rock bottom. They reached out to God when everything in their life seemed to be crumbling around them. And so it is a choice how we respond in moments like this. We can either abandon God or we can depend on God. The saddest part of this whole story is that these people let fear keep them from the promise. They were supposed to have been the generation that escaped Egypt and entered the promised land and brought in a whole new season of life for the people of Israel. But because in this moment they were unwilling to trust God, this generation of people remained in the wilderness for 40 years. They never saw the promised land. The only two people to ever experience the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. And about 40 years later, as Joshua was, was recounting this experience, this is what he said. Joshua chapter 14, verse 8. He said, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. But as for me, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Joshua said, I followed God wherever he led me. And it wasn't just once, but Joshua had said it in his heart that in every season he was going to do the hard work of trusting God with more. And that really is the life of faith is that you start with these small promises that you believe God for. And you take one little step of trust. And some people think, well, when I've trusted God once, that's all he's ever asked me to do. But that's not true. Because in every season, God is going to trust you with a little bit more. He's going to ask you to trust him with a little bit more. And season after season is an opportunity for us to re-up in our faith to God. Every season of parenting, we get to say, God, I'm going to trust you with a little bit more. Every season of our career, we can say, God, I'm going to trust you 
with a little bit more in every season of our relationships. It's an opportunity to say, God, I'm going to trust you with a little bit more. Because as soon as we say, God, I'm not ready to trust you with this, is the same moment that we stop seeing God for all he is able to become in our life. We start to limit that growth that he has for us. Become stifled. And there's some deep symbolism in this story. That you have a a group of people who God is calling into freedom who are afraid of what it will cost them to experience that freedom. And instead, they are willing to go back into the bondage of slavery because of that fear. There are some of you today that are on the verge of giving up on a thing that you've been working toward for a long time. And you're ready to give up because the problems that you are facing seem bigger than what you are capable of overcoming. You're ready to give up on a situation that you have not invited God in on yet. And my question for you today is what does it look like for you to follow God in the blessings and in the battles? For some of you, that means trusting God's plan for your life. For some of you, it means doing the hard work of silencing the lies that are in your head. For some of you, it's a battle with your mental health that nobody knows about. But every morning you wake up and you look in the mirror and you feel it. For some of you, it is a battle among some of the most important relationships that you have in your life. For others of you, it is your career. For others of you, it is a conflict that you cannot figure out how to resolve. One thing I know is that every single person who walked into this room today is fighting a battle somewhere. And the hard part about every battle is trusting and believing that God is ready to go to battle for you again. But don't ever stop believing that. Because all you have to do is take a little walk down memory lane and look back at every season of your life where God has been faithful for you in the past. And you can know that our God doesn't change. He never changes. And if you are willing, you, will, you can let him step into this moment again. I know that there are probably some of you today that are hearing the dialogue that is happening and you're thinking, well, I don't know if I have ever surrendered to God. Some of you have shown up this morning and for the whole of your life, you have been fighting the battle yourself. You've been carrying the weight of bitterness. You've been carrying the weight of shame and guilt and frustration all on your shoulders. And you have shown up tired today because you're ready. For whatever reason, you stepped into this room and it wasn't by accident. But you're finally ready to allow for God to go to battle in your life for you. If that's you this morning, I want to give you a chance to what we say, cross the finish line of faith. 
to say, God, all this stuff that I've been holding on to my whole life, all the drama that I've been battling with, all the tension that I live with every morning I wake up, all the questions that I have every night I put my head on that pillow, God, I'm ready to let go and allow for you to carry that for me. And that's exactly what God will do. Scripture says that he is ready to change you from the inside out. He's not trying to change your behaviors or modify what you look like on the outside, but he is willing and ready to do the deep work of transforming a broken heart, a heart that is calloused and hurting and overwhelmed. The Bible says as, ready, as, as, as soon as you are ready, he is willing. And so if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to pray a simple prayer in your heart after me. And at this time, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And today, if you're ready to let God do what only he can do in your life, I want you to say this simple prayer after me in your heart. Dear God, I'm ready. Thank you for loving me when I didn't love you. Thank you for pursuing me when I was pursuing everything else. Today I'm ready to believe that you love me enough to send your son on the cross to die for my sins so that I didn't have to carry the weight of my own selfishness but I could live free under your grace that has cleansed me from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. Today I'm ready to believe that you can do more with my life than I can. Would you give me the strength to follow you in the days to come? In Jesus' name, I believe. I'm gonna ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And on the count of three, for those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart, I'm going to ask you to take one more bold step of faith. I'm going to ask you to just quickly raise your hand on the count of three. And we do this every week. And the part of the rhythm is that we know that when God is moving in someone's heart spiritually and they respond physically, it solidifies a moment in their life. And, and that's what we have prayed today would be for someone. And so this morning... If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, you are so loved by God, you can't even imagine it. Two, you did not end up in this room by accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning if you prayed that prayer. I see you, 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 I see you. Any others? Any others? If you're tuning in online, I see you, I see you. If you're tuning in online, I want to just encourage you to go ahead and click the, the comment bottom at the bottom of the comment section. We have a host person that would love to help get you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. Father, we thank you so much that, God, you meet us here every single week because we're just a bunch of broken people looking for, for more grace, in need of more grace in our life. And we thank you, Father, that you have an ocean of grace to pour out on us. 
And Lord, we thank you for the deep work that you're doing in the life of this community. And we ask, God, that as we face these battles, there would be not one moment of our life that we would forget that you are in the battle with us, that you have gone before us, and that, God, you desire that in the battle we would experience your blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, would you guys do me a favor this morning? Would you, um, would you show some love to every person who stepped into faith for the very first time? <laughs>